When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to The Noble and Bruce Show, brought to you by Ball is Life and Dash Radio. Welcome back to another episode of The Noble and Roosh Show, hosted by Ball is Life. I'm your host, Roosh Williams, with my co-host, Zach Noble. And today, we're going to be running down free agency and draft and more with the one and only Mr. Jay Billis. Jay, how you doing? Great, guys. How you doing? Doing good. Just a Monday, like I said. Just another Monday, you know, but can't complain. Yeah. How, how about you, Zach? Doing great. It's another Monday in Minnesota, just pounding the pavement up here. <laughs> where are you coming to us from, Jay? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live. There you go. Okay, cool. What is summer in Charlotte like? Uh, usually it's pretty good, but it's a little, little warm this time of year. So it's a lot of, uh, a lot of humidity. Uh, that, oh, that's the difficulty. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bruce, it's this really might sticky. be the only other time you get a lawyer on here. So do your little lawyer speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm in Houston, so... I was going to talk about humidity because it's humid as hell out here. Yeah, we got the same issue. Yeah. Okay, cool. Never been to Charlotte. I would, lo- I would love to see it, though. Um, it looks beautiful in the pictures, so perhaps one day I'll make it out there. But um, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, man. I'm really excited to talk about um, you know, the draft and, and, and free agency and everything. So kind of just to kick things off, you know, I wanted to run down the winners and the losers, the first, first things first winners and losers of NBA free agency thus far off season. Um, and I'm going to let Zach come from the top here and then we'll, we'll dive right into it. Yeah. Let's stick with the draft here. Um, and with that said, who are the biggest winners and losers of the draft in your estimation, Jay? Well, Houston did really well with, with what they got, uh, you know, to get Jalen green and, uh, you know, he, he would be a number one pick in a lot of other years. Uh, obviously, I thought Detroit did pretty well. Um, I was impressed with what Charlotte did. Uh, and then uh, Oklahoma City, I think, had a, had a really good draft. They had a bunch of picks. And, and I liked, even though you know, it wasn't a ton of picks, I really liked what Golden State did, um, you know, getting Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. Those are, those are two really good gets, uh, considering they were drafting, what was it, 7-14. Yeah, Moses Moody, I mean, I thought he was going to go top 10. I mean, everything I was hearing, did he fall quite a bit for you? I, things I was reading on what you're, you were talking about, seemed like you might have had him in your top seven, top eight. I didn't really remember where you had him on your best available, but um, what do you think of Moses Moody? Do you think he's higher upside than Kaminga at all? Or 
I wouldn't say that. I think Kaminga has got a little bit higher upside because of his athleticism and length that uh, he's got a tremendous uh, ability level. Um, I, you know, it's hard to say that a guy fell when he's drafted in the lottery. Right. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Moses Moody was expected to go number one. I think a lot of people had him in the 10, 11 range, but since Zaire Williams of uh, Stanford went higher than people expected, um, you know, and Franz Wagner and Josh Giddy went a little bit higher than, than some expected, uh, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, guys like, uh, Oh, Josh Primo went higher than people thought too, didn't he? He's um, the big one Alabama. for me. Yeah. Both he and Williams. I mean, Zaire Williams was expected to be a lottery pick before the season started. He didn't have a great year. He's injured, uh, didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, you know, but Primo, has a lot of ability. It just shows how good this draft was that when you, you know, when, when you get a guy who's taken 12, um, you know, he, he could have been taken higher in some other drafts. So we, we had a, this is the best draft I can remember since probably Oh three. Um, and I think we're, you know, you saw in the summer league uh, so far that, uh, that there are a lot of, a lot of legit star caliber players that came out of this draft. Who do you think is going to end up being the best player from this draft when it's all said and done? Well, it's, it's hard. It's a good question. It's just hard to, it's not like I thought anybody made mistakes here. I mean, I, I do think Kate Cunningham's the best player. And, uh, but does that mean, you know, in 10 years, we're going to look back and, and say that Evan Mobley was the best or Jalen green or all that stuff or Jalen Suggs. Um, you know, we've seen that in a lot of drafts in the past where guys have outperformed what we thought on draft night. Um, but you know, it's weird. Like you get into this slotting process and, you know, that's why this year was a little bit harder because you had longer to chew on it. For sure. And man, it seems like the longer you have to think about it, the more you outthink yourself and just, you know, go with, with, you know, your first impression sometimes. But, um, you know, the idea that we could slot this and think we're right on it, you know, as long as you have a range or, you know, some teams do tiers and some analysts and all that stuff, as long as you're in the right tier, um, uh, you know, there's no way to call this slot by slot and think, okay, well, this guy is going to be better than that guy. Uh, it's just, it's crazy. It's kind of like when I use this as an example for how good this draft is. Like if, if you went back to the 03 draft, which I had talked about uh, a little bit earlier and talked about throughout the draft process and, uh, and you get to the fourth pick and your decision, what do we do? Chris Bosch or Dwayne Wade, right. you know, it's that kind of thing. And and there were a number of picks in this draft where you had a, a similar feeling decision where you're going, okay, I might choose one over the other, but I wouldn't argue with, uh, with, with the other, other side of it. Um, it, it was that good. Is that how you feel that sentiment that you just captured right there? Is that how you feel about Toronto selecting Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs, for example? Cause you yes. had Suggs above him. Yes. And, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, wait, wait, oh, look how far Jalen Suggs fell. Right. One spot. You know, he fell one spot. Um, you know, it, 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 I, Scotty Barnes has some ability that you just can't teach. I mean, with his defensive capabilities and he can literally guard anybody on the floor with his length and athleticism. And uh, he may be the best teammate in this draft. He, he's very, you know, talk about low maintenance. You know, he doesn't need a shot. Uh, you don't have to get him any shots and he still plays his tail off for you. Um, but Jalen Suggs had a couple, couple things where, um, look, I think he's a gamer. I think he's going to be a great pro. Um, but he had a couple things where people were worried about, 
you know, what's his mental makeup? Uh, uh, you know, he had had a little bit of anxiety issues, which seems like every kid now has some of that. Um, so I'm not worried about it. I've seen him play enough where I'm going, you know, unless unless there's some doctor telling you to stay away from him, uh, I, I would have taken him fourth. For sure. And that's that's a great thing to touch on uh, mental makeup, because I always try to weigh that heavier than most. But it's like, how do you weigh that at the same time? Um, I look at it as a gamer, a grinder, a guy that's a dog on the court. I mean, you get that from listening to interviews and seeing how they interact in the huddle. And I mean, just grind on defensive end, in my opinion. But I mean, unless you're in the locker rooms or getting to get know these guys off the court, it's really hard to understand the mentality side of it. So how much do you weigh mentality? And yeah, I mean, a lot of people deal with mental issues. Um, in society and in life in general, but yet they can perform at their career and at the highest level. So I don't, I think that can be irrelevant at times um, when you just lose everything and just game on the court and focus. That, those are all important issues. So first with all the data that teams have now, and they, you know, they basically call it intelligence gathering. So if you're told a, a story about a kid, what you like your, your point about the locker room, well, none of us are in the locker room, right. so we're told stories about it. Um, so if a, if a player, um, like at a USA basketball event overseas, uh, doesn't perform well or maybe bows out of something or doesn't practice uh, one practice when they're overseas or you know competing, how are you going to process that? Are you going to say, okay, well, well, he's 18 years old, and, and so, you know, everybody's going to have an right. issue like that. Or do you take it to be a little bit more than that? It, it, it's situational. So I don't know the answer to that. I just know that I think you'd have to, or believe, I should say, I just believe that you have to evaluate younger players a little bit differently, that you're going to have a couple of issues here and there. And, you know, that's why I'm so grateful. I think all of us are for players like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan, because yep. they've, they've taken away or they've helped to, to move us forward away from uh, stigmatizing someone who may struggle from time to time with a, uh, a, a, an issue. And there are so many young people like, I, you know, I'm, I've got two kids um, that are 26 and 24 now. So when they were going through high school and college, not just them, but other, other friends of theirs and, uh, teammates and all that, they, they, they've, they've had issues for sure. And, uh, and I think it's a little bit more prevalent now than it was years past. But like you said, uh, I think it's not, it's not something that while, while it can be debilitating, it is not disqualifying. And so I think you have to be careful not to overanalyze some of that stuff and make sure that you don't take yourself out of getting a really good player because you're concerned about something that maybe 30 years ago would have caused you concern and maybe shouldn't as much now, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And for instance, like last year's draft, that's one thing I was personally worried about, like the top end guys. It wasn't that their talent was lacking in LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman. I just didn't know if it was focused on basketball more than the life off the court. And that's where I focus on mentality a little bit too, where I truly believe Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, um, Jalen Suggs, especially. I think those guys are gamers, grinders, and like just dogs and all about the game. But 
yeah, I could be wrong about LaMelo and Anthony Edwards and being big film guys and stuff like that, but that's the mentality aspect I got from them. And I really, I try to judge that as much as I can, because I think that's important. And I've been somewhat right on the players. I've um, said I have a better mentality coming into things and versus not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, what I would say to that, if I could, so what yeah, I would like say Andrew that, Wiggins, another one. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you can pick out guys that you'd say, you'd say, okay, well, I'm not sure you know, about how much he loves the game, all that, all that crap we talked about, yeah. but you know, sometimes you miss on players too, that he wasn't a complete player, um, but a, a spectacular talent. And, and as you guys know, number one picks aren't the same every year, but what I would say is to your point about last year's top three in, in Edwards Wiseman and, and LaMelo ball, I think this year's crop of players projected maturity a little bit better. Oh yeah. And, and so it doesn't mean that in five years, they're going to be more mature because I was really impressed with, uh, with LaMelo balls maturity, which I, I wasn't sure he, he had just yet. And I, I wasn't sure he'd be able to figure out the shooting piece as quickly as he did. He shot it way better than I expected. I expected Edwards to do what he did. He, he was exactly where I thought he would be. Okay. He's just, he's just kind of weird. Like he, he, you know, <laughs> He says what he's thinking all the, the time. Best the best personality, though. I mean, yeah, as a he's Minnesota. got a great personality. <laughs> but, 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 like, like he didn't. You know, Cade Cunningham projects maturity yeah. a little bit more. Well, he's, he's at, got a kid too, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, guys, there are guys that have kids that don't project maturity either. Um, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, you know, Jalen Suggs. They they just come across as a little more mature at For this sure. age. In five years, you're not going to be able to tell the maturity difference in all these guys um, because I think they are uh, professional in the way they go about things. And, you know, you can look back over the course of the last 19 drafts and uh, and guys look a lot different five, six years later than they did on draft night. And, you know, it's amazing how young those guys look on because they are young. But they they mature, and then when they do, you're like, man, that that's that's what we expected, what, what we wound up getting. Well, we had LeVar Ball on the show before the draft, and after speaking to LeVar Ball, I got a really good sense, because obviously without getting to interact with him or LaMelo or Lonzo or any of them, you may not know, or you may have questions or whatever, but after interacting with, with LeVar, I got a really good sense for how he was raising those kids and how everything he was doing and saying sometimes maybe off base or sometimes he misses, but his, his mind was in the right place in terms of preparing them for the game. And I also got a chance to watch LaMelo play at the Drew League uh, the summer before he was drafted. And I had questions about his game. I had questions about his jump shot, frankly, because of the release, right? It's just kind of funky. But when I saw him play live up close, um, that's when I was sold. And I think that it's kind of funny. We do all this analysis. I think you specifically have an opportunity to get closer than you know guys like Zach and I. But a lot of people want to say X, Y, Z on the internet um, about the game and about their emotional maturity. But the truth of the matter is we just don't have a clue. We're just guessing. Um, and on the, the opposite end of that spectrum, you have guys that may not project maturity. Um, but I think, for example, with Jalen Green, obviously I'm a Rockets fan, so maybe I'm biased, but we have seen that he has a genuine desire to get better at the game and at his craft. And that's not always the case. Sometimes guys treat this like they've made it on draft night and, you know, they treat it like a nine to five, but a guy like Jalen green has been walking the walk after talking the talk. Um, and I just think that that's going to scale well. So, so we'll see, but I think, I think this is a packed draft. I mean, I think Cade Cunningham, like you said, projects maturity. 
even in terms of handling the media, he's just kind of cool, calm, collected, smooth. Jalen Green is a little more flashy and, and out there, but I think he knows what he's doing and he's determined to get better. Jalen Suggs, I'm taking from his run in the tournament that he seems like a gamer. Um, there were some questions about Evan Mobley, but I'm not going to hold that against him because I don't know. So, so we'll see. Um, I also wanted to ask you, so we, we, I think we all agree that Josh Primo was a surprise pick for the Spurs. Big reach in my estimation, but yeah. maybe he has a higher floor than I think. And Maybe so. I was going to ask you, Jay, because um, I thought that the Spurs were going to take Alper and Shangun, and they didn't, and I'm glad that he fell to the Rockets. I was going to ask you your thoughts on Alper and Shangun, both before the draft and after watching him in Summer League. Well, watching him in Summer League, I mean, I saw tape of him before the draft, but watching him in Summer League, he's really talented, and he's going to get really, he's going to get a lot better. And as his body, you know, he's, he's got to improve that body, but I think he will. Um, you know, to get him at what he, whatever they got, 15, 16, 17, whatever it was, middle of the first round, that's a, that's a, a great pick. And, you know, Mike Schmitz, who I work with and does an amazing job of talent evaluation, uh, was all over that guy and talking about him as being a, you know, top 10 caliber pick. Um, and, and I, you know, I trust Mike implicitly. And so, you know, as soon as he was drafted, you're going, okay, well, here we go. He's going to, he's going to be the real thing after hearing Mike. Now, do you think him and Garuba fit well together? Because I, I personally do from the film I've watched on both of them. Uh, I thought they did a great job with just fits on the Houston Rockets. Yes. And, you know, I think Houston's really starting over, as you guys know. So for them to get the best possible talents there, um, I mean, who else would you have taken there at, you know, Garuba went in the early 20s, right? 23. So, yeah, so maybe if you're gonna if you're gonna take a guy with size, um, I don't know. I don't know who else you take. Isaiah Jackson was already gone. Yeah, but best available would have been Cam Thomas for me. I think he dropped further than anybody, but he's not a big. Not a big, yeah. Sharif um, Cooper the, also fell, but obviously not a big either. So, but. so from big, yeah, Dayron Sharp, Dayron Sharp yep. probably would have been the next guy you'd be thinking, but he's not. He doesn't have the offensive upside. Even though he's a very good passer and a good finisher, um, he's a just a ridiculous offensive rebounder. Um, you know, he, he's maybe the best offensive rebounder per minute played that North Carolina's ever had, frankly. Um, oh. But but you know, Garuba's the better <clears throat> better pick there. All right, fair. I, I also think someone I'm extremely high on. Maybe it's because we've had him on the show. Um, I think the Pelicans got. I don't want to say a steal, but they got a hell of a player in Trey Murphy. I think Trey Murphy yes. is going to be fantastic. Uh, I would have liked to see Golden State select him um, with that 14th pick. I thought he would be fantastic next to Steph and Clay and Draymond, but um, he really impressed in the summer league, and I think he's got a lot of hidden tricks in his bag that we didn't quite see in college. Uh, what are your thoughts on Trey Murphy? Well, he can really shoot it. So, as you guys know, he transferred from Rice, and his reasoning for transferring was, you know, usually guys will transfer when they can't play the position they want. They want to play point. They're yeah. not, not getting enough shots. They want to be, you know, higher level scores. <clears throat> he wanted to. He wanted to be a better defender. And uh, and his coach there at Rice. I mean, I've never seen a coach more supportive of a transferring okay. player. Um, incredibly supportive of him, and he, he worked out at Rice through the draft process and all that. Um, but you're going to uh, say, I've never seen a coach less supportive of defense. 
No, no. <laughs> I mean, no. And that's the thing. I mean, and that's that's what's funny about this transfer deal is, yeah. is you know, the, the idea that he was transferring for defense wasn't that they didn't play any or teach any rights because they did. Okay. Um, it was just he was going into he just wanted something a little bit higher level. And uh, and he and the truth is, he made the right call. I don't know where he would have been drafted if he stayed at Rice. Maybe he would have been drafted, you know, in the in the twenties. I don't know. Yeah. But um, but he really improved. I think his standing as a player by uh, through the transfer and through the way he performed. But it, but he's really he's very good defensively, and uh, and I think he worked on his handle and you know became a better all around player. But at his size, he can you know he can really step away and shoot it, and he's an excellent, very good athlete. Um, but, but that defensive piece, you know, there aren't that many guys that can shoot it that well and then guard multiple positions like he can. So he's a, he was a good pick there. I thought. I think he's got a sneaky ability to, to attack closeouts and I don't want to say create in like the traditional sense, but I think he's got, I think he's got some untapped potential there that was not necessarily on the board, um, with respect to his evaluation in terms of the draft. And sorry, Zach, I want to get one more in. Um, I'm really bummed that we didn't get to see Josh Giddy. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk to you about your thoughts on Josh Giddy and what you project for him, um, you know, in the league. Well, I was a little surprised he went number six. I didn't think he'd go quite that high, but, you know, still he was within the range of, of expectation. But, uh, you know, point guard with size that can handle, pass, uh, sort of the new age guy. Not a great shooter, but, but can shoot it. Um, and another guy that he's played high level basketball in Australia. So I think he's going to be very good. And he, he, he uh, to me, um, like that, that's what the thunder does. You know, they, they get players like him that, that outperform reputation and uh, his reputation is very good internationally, but most people here didn't know him. And that, that's kind of the problem with the draft now is, you know, most, most people don't know most of these players, like uh, as, as good as like the, uh, the hardcore college basketball fan or, you know, observers like us know Moses Moody as most people never saw Moses Moody play For sure. at Arkansas. Most people weren't as in tune, even though he was an older player with Chris Duarte of Oregon. Um, you know, he bounced around a little bit junior college and all that stuff, but man, that dude is a, is a stud. And I think he's going to be an outstanding NBA player, but he's going to be a surprise to a lot of people that, that hadn't seen him play much. So a couple of follow-ups there, Josh Giddy. Um, what do you think he adds to their core? And do you believe in what OKC's got going? Because honestly, outside of SGA, Dort, and now Giddy, I don't know how he's going to fit with SGA, but I think he can fit with basically anybody. He's a basketball player, playmaker. Uh, but it's it's interesting because I like Shea Gilgis-Alexander to have the ball quite frequently. Uh, so how do you think they're building a team right now? And do you even believe in more than two or three guys that they have for the future? Well, I think they're doing what a lot of teams are doing is they're going with multi-positional talents right. and guys that, like you mentioned, uh, you know, Dort and, and Shea Gilgis Alexander and then Giddy. It's all guys that oh, can cool. handle the ball. Yeah, all guys that can handle the ball. Um, and you don't have to have just one point guard that's in charge of everything. Uh, you, have, you, you have guys that, that are interchangeable. And that's where the league is headed. Not everybody, not everybody has to play that way. But, um, you know, I, you guys watch a lot of international basketball. I just, I, I think international basketball, frankly, is ahead of, of us. Oh. And, 
they're more innovative. Um, if you really watch it, sure. uh, if they, if they had the same rules that we had, uh, um, not just the, you know, defensive three seconds and all that stuff, but, um, if, if the games were called like they are in the NBA, um, it'd be a way better game to watch. And, uh, and the fact that they're over in 40 minutes, is kind of good too. Uh, the <laughs> NBA, uh, the, the NBA will never do it because guys would be giving up, um, stats and they don't, they don't want to give those up. Uh, but man, you know, a 40 minute game is so much I, other than, uh, other than sleep and play golf. I don't, there's nothing I want to do for over two hours anymore. Yeah. I got to hear all that. I'll, I'll say this, man, um, to your point about the difference between the game, maybe this is just my opinion, but you know, anytime I go around and play, anytime I see kids playing pickup, whatever the game, at least for young, the younger generation seems to have morphed into, it's all about your, your ISO package. It's all about your step back, your sidestep, your dribbles, boom, boom, boom. No one's really like looking at plays develop kind of two plays ahead of time or two movements ahead of time. People aren't really like, they don't, they don't play with intention, right? They're not thinking, okay, give me the pick. I'm going to, I'm going to penetrate and then hit a skip pass to the corner. They're just thinking, okay, clear out ISO. Let me show you, I can step back and hit a 30 footer. Um, and the, the international guys seem to have just better IQ on the court. I don't know if I'm not saying they are smarter. I just think they're more intentional with how they use their gifts um, on the court. Yeah, I see it just at different levels. So if if we're limiting it to AAU and high school and all that, you know, I think in in the the U.S. generally, uh, high school coaches um, kind of exhibit a little bit too much control, honestly, and uh, they're slowing games down more than speeding them up. That that's not universally true, but generally true. Um, and then once, once you get to college, I mean, the NBA game is when I hear people complain about the NBA, it's pretty clear they don't watch it because you wouldn't have the complaints they have. If you watched it, the NBA passes more per possession in 24 seconds than, than college teams do in 30 uh -huh. and they run wider, you know, they use the whole court. Um, there's more passing and cutting. Uh, it's less of an isolation game than it used to be. You know, there's still ISO plays. I mean, you're going to take advantage of isolation situations, but um, I, I see most of the, most of the issues that we have uh, sort of, you know, the get off my lawn issues of the way teams play and the way players play on the AAU side. And part of it is um, part of it is the, the, we're still trying to figure out, um, in, in my view, we're still trying to figure out how to incorporate individual skill development with team play. So because of the way individual skill development works, all these skills coaches for insurance purposes, they can only go one on O. And so they're using, uh, you know, everything's done after the catch. So it doesn't incorporate cutting and movement. Off ball, um, yeah. yeah, it doesn't incorporate that kind of cutting and movement. Um, and that's a, that's a failure on our part, but overall, our players are more skilled than they've ever been. I think when in the right, you know, as they mature and, uh, you know, the college coaches, I think do a great job. The NBA coaches do a great job and the NBA coaches don't get any credit for it. But, um, but our, our, our pros are better than any pros in the world. And, uh, and I think we demonstrate that, um, by the fact that, you know, we're, we're dominating international competition. And even with, even through the pandemic, when we didn't have our best players and they couldn't play together for over a year, um, our guys still 
won the gold medal. And, uh, um, you know, we're, we're the best in the world. And there's a reason for that. But I, I don't see like I, I think you, you're, you're making a good point. I don't see it as globally uh, in the in U.S. play as as uh, as maybe you do. Um, or, well, or I'm not saying now. that it's I'm not necessarily saying it's it's at the NBA level. I'm saying that, you know, kids now like I remember when I was coming up, it wasn't so ISO step back. It's basically ISO step back, like off ball guys aren't moving. You know, this is just from what I see. I'm not in, I'm not. You're talking the Houston Rockets. So let's be honest. I'm I'm, I'm talking about younger kids. Um, Like when I, you know. But but that's been true. Yeah. I I mean, I agree with you, but, but I think that's been true for a long time. I mean, you could go to a lot of games, you know, back when I was playing in the late seventies, early eighties in high school. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, if you sit among college coaches now uh, or 20 years ago, they'd complain about the same things that, Hey, there's no movement. It's all ISO ball. And you know, whoever's got the ball shoots it, that kind of crap. So it, it, it's not that you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, I think it's more a function of, of AAU and, and that's not the bag on AAU. There's a place for summer basketball. It's good stuff, but for sure. um, we, we can't, I don't think we can expect to have finished products. Um, and then the other part is so many players play. And not all that many of them, of, the, of all the players we see play in high school, not, not as many of them move on to college. I talk to coaches about this all the time. I, I'm a stickler about this. When I speak at clinics and other things, to, especially to, to high school coaches, but to, to high school and college coaches, you know, you'll, you'll, like I'll, I'll ask for a show of hands. Like how many agree with this, this statement, you, excuse me, the statement you hear all the time about uh, only – three percent of high school players go on to play division one basketball they'll all raise their hands and i'll say well doesn't that mean that you need to make the experience for your high school players a really good one because for the overwhelming sure. majority of them that's the last time they're going to play and and a lot of these players are playing for different reasons like you know we, we're talking about the top guys in the draft about how much they want it how much do they love to play well we can't expect all these players most of whom are never going to go on to love yeah. it that much and to put that amount of time in it, you know, they're playing cause it's fun and, uh, and you want them to play the right way and all that stuff. But it's kind of like when I played high school baseball, you know, you had guys complain about, Oh, they don't run first and third defense like they should. And, you know, where's the sacrifice bunt and all that stuff. And, you know, I hated yeah. having to take, take pitches. I hated it. I wanted to swing the damn bat, man. And, uh, and so I, I didn't play to be a professional baseball player. I played cause it was fun. And, uh, and sometimes I think we, we, not you guys, I mean, it's just a broader discussion. Sometimes I think, especially parents, you know, miss out on, on that. It's supposed to be fun for these guys. Like going for it in golf when you should be laying up. <laughs> Tin cup, man. Hell yeah. I didn't come here to lay up, <clears throat> even though, even though after you make your triple, when you don't lay up, you know, you, you said, I probably should have laid up. Yes. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So from the college experience, I guess, from the coaching side of things, stylistically, not whoever develops the most pro prospects, but from the stylistic play, um, who uh, stylistically plays the game the best or most conducive to the NBA game in college right now? Like what three coaches in your estimation? Probably Gonzaga, I would say number one, and Mark Few. And I don't know that he doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, sort of put the NBA or go, you know, get his players to the NBA, stuff like that, which he has done a lot in the last 20 years. I think it's, a, it's just what he wants to watch. Right. I, remember, I remember having a discussion with uh, Mark Few years ago about the way they play, and they've gone, you know, they, they've, they've changed their offense over the years. It's evolved. I mean, when I first started watching them uh, in the – probably the late nineties, they ran a lot of flex and then they ran kind of a flex motion combo. I think they used to call it flotion actually like a mix of what flex and motion. And, and now they, they do, you know, so much spread stuff and, you know, ball screens, a lot of cutting, a lot of vertical cuts, you know, cutting against the grain, uh, things that are unusual. But I remember talking to Fury about that and, and saying, why do you play like this? Or what, you know, what about, you know, ball control and this or that? And he's like, I don't want to go to practice every day and coach something I don't want to watch. And, and like the players, the players don't want to play that way. And I don't want to watch it. And, and look, he would do whatever, whatever one, I'm not saying that, you know, if playing that way racked up more losses than playing the other way, he, he'd do whatever it took to win or play whatever style. But it, to me, it was a refreshing approach that he he cares about what the players want to do, and he and he actually aesthetically he enjoys it. You know, he's going to do if he's going to spend that much time on it, he's going to do something he enjoys. But you know, to your question, I think Tom Izzo at Michigan State is one of the best offensive minds I've ever seen, um, and obviously, you know, defense and rebounding. But his offensive concepts are great. Uh, runs a lot of great sets. Uh, you better be smart to play for him because it's a lot to remember. Yeah, but don't you think it's a little more complex than what the NBA is running? Like, slower? no, it's not more. Court. It's it's well, I mean, but they 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 want to run. They 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 run a lot. They have a lot of fast break situations and all that, uh, and try to run off misses, turnovers, all that. Um, but they'll 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 run. They run a lot of different sets that are difficult for opponents to you know, sort of to scout and to deal with. And it's, and they're as good out of timeouts as anybody in college. And even though they don't play fast, um, Villanova runs a lot of, a lot of great stuff. Uh, Jay Wright is a, is a master. It's just, I think, I think people that don't study what they do tend to think that they play faster than they do. And they really don't. They, they're, they're, uh, they, they really, if they're in a half court situation, they're going to get the shot they want. If it takes them 20 seconds to do it, they don't care. They're going to do it. Very good. Um, NIL, I got to hear it. I mean, last time you were on, it was kind of funny timing because it was right when the Rich Paul rule came out. Um, so I don't know. Is, was that a prerequisite to this, you think? Or is this everything you were hoping for and more for many, many years now? Or how, how close are we from beating Golden in this NIL? 
Well, it, it really depends what you what your goal is. I mean, you know, mine. My, look, I've believed from from the get go, especially you know since I had legal training, that the NCAA's policies violate federal antitrust law. I've always believed that. Um, took the courts a while to catch up, and now it's clear that the courts agree. And the courts being you know the Ninth Circuit, but now the United States Supreme Court. Um, you know, the NCAA got its ass kicked in, in the Supreme Court. I mean, they lost nine to nothing. And it was a limited ruling. I mean, it was only about, um, you know, academic benefits, you know, whether it's paid internships or laptops or stuff like that that pertain to academics. Um, but the court made it pretty clear that none of the NCAA's policies would, would withstand scrutiny if they were before the court. And I think it sent a very clear message to lower courts that, um, you know, if, if this comes up, uh, they don't have protection anymore like they used to, uh, from that board of regents case in the 1980s. So, um, I, like the NIL stuff, because of all the different state laws and the NCAA after losing, they punted and just said, all right, you know, every school can, you know, do whatever your state tells you to do. And if you, if there's no state law, you got to make up your own rules. Um, you know, we're, we're getting closer to the schools being able to pay the players. Ultimately, I think that's where we wind up unless Congress steps in and, uh, and you know, puts a, a law out there that preempts all these state laws. But I think what we're going to see is NIL is no big deal, that players are going to do commercials, they're going to make money, mm -hmm. and the world will remain firmly on its axis. The games will start on, on time. Uh, t you know, everybody will still get paid. Um, you know, all the checks will clear. And it won't be any big deal. And nobody is going to turn away from the product. But I've had, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. I was going to say, haven't you been preaching free market though, versus having the schools pay back? Um, just letting these guys be able to at, treat it like a job and a career and get paid in the free market versus having the schools pay these players. Well, that is the free market. Right. Um, that's the way I refer to it. Like what I'm saying is that, that the schools, Hey, look, if you don't want to pay a player, don't pay. Okay. Like, you know, Duke, where I went to school, they could, they could require all their coaches to be volunteers and unpaid volunteers if they want to. And, and be, you know, BYU tells its students that can't, they can't drink caffeine. Um, you know, you can have your own rules, so go ahead, do whatever you want. But if you want to pay them, if you want them to be employees, as long as they're enrolled as students, I don't have any problem with it because you can do the same thing with any other student. Like where, where are all these rules for the regular students? You know, there are no rules. They can have jobs. They can write books. They can appear in movies. They can uh, fly on alumni jets. They can do right. whatever the hell they want. And, and we're not worried about it. We're not talking about it. that compromises their education. You know, Congress isn't jumping up and down talking about the sanctity of education. Um, you know, we've been operating in this phony amateurism system forever. And, and while we're pretending that the players are amateur, we've been running this professional enterprise that makes billions upon billions of dollars every year. And, you know, the thing that kind of frosts me is when administrators will say, well, we don't want this to become the minor leagues and go minor league, like minor leagues don't make billions of dollars and pay their coaches millions and have gigantic television contracts and apparel deals, minor yeah, leagues like, and all that. Yeah. Like minor leagues change their hats every other year to try to make more money. Um, they, they're, they're not raking in billions. It's major league. And so to me, all this, all this that we've done over the years, all this fighting we've done was for zero purpose because now we're here 
And we're going to see that the sky isn't going to fall. People aren't going to turn away. You know, they like all these folks who say, I'm out. I'm not going to watch anymore. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You've already proven when your school is paying your coach 10 million bucks a year, you're not going to turn away for anything, not anything. So quit, quit with that. Like most people who, who really like quit something, don't announce they're quitting. They just leave. <laughs> and, and these guys, they, they go, I'm out. I, as soon as we pay them, I'm out. Remember when Jim right. Delaney, who, who's a great friend, Jim Delaney, the, the, um, the commissioner of the big 10 said, the second we start paying players, um, you know, the, the big 10 goes division three and you're like, okay, all right. <laughs> so Amherst versus Ohio state at the shoe on Saturday, free admission, no TV. Sure. Come on, man. That's not going to happen. I, first of all, I love the um, just the the nerdy legal stuff. Uh, I got my JD from Southern California, from USC. So awesome to see that and to hear that because we don't get a lot of that on this podcast. But um, I agree with you, man. I mean, look, it's to me, it's always been about control, um, and I think that's kind of hard to argue. I mean, Boost, for example, I went to the University of Texas. I know that boosters at Texas love to kind of have a say in what's going on, and they do that with their pockets. Um, and look. Like I said, I went to USC for law school. I don't think any USC alumni or fans or anyone connected to the university cared about Reggie Bush getting under the table money, right? So now do we care that it's out in the open? I don't understand why we would. Um, and I also think that like the G League for the prominence, the, the quick, fast rising prominence of the G League, for example, is going to force hands, right? You got Jalen Green going and getting half a million to play whatever he did, 17 games for the G League Ignite. Why would you not compete with that? So I think that I'm glad it happened. Um, but I do, I want to ask you, do you think it's going to disproportionately positively impact schools like the juggernauts, Texas, USC, so on and so forth that, that have the resources available to kind of, and the platforms available oh, to all blow up. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I think, I think those, I think those advantages were built in anyway. So I, I'm not, I, I'm not worried that we're going to see, like the best players from other schools just flock to, um, you know, the biggest markets and say, well, I'll, I'll be, you know, fourth on the depth chart just because I can make more money here. I don't think you'll see that. You know, I, I, have always scoffed at the notion and a lot of these arguments were made by opponents of, uh, of players being compensated or allowed compensation. They would say, well, you know, you allow this and then all the best football players are just going to go to Oregon and Oklahoma state where Phil Knight and, Boone Pickens respectively can just throw money at him. And you're like, you really, you think that the best quarterbacks are going to go one, the, the second best quarterback is going to sit for four years behind the best quarterback, just because he can make more money. The answer is no, that's not going to happen. The other part of it is, is in my experience, people don't give away money for free. So, um, for the, the T boom Pickens example, like, well, Oklahoma state's just going to pay everybody. He's just going to give them a bill. He never paid for a coach. Like, why didn't T Boone Pickens open up his wallet, you know, rest in peace, but why didn't he pick, open up his wallet and hi- hire Nick Saban for like 20 million a year <laughs> or, or Bill Self who went to school there. He didn't open his wallet and do that, but they think he's going to, you know, pay for an offensive lineman and a kicker and a quarterback. Like that stuff's just not going to happen. And you're not going to see a bunch of businesses overpay for spokespeople. They're just not going to do that. Um, now could it happen in an instance or two, uh, and they're worried about it hitting recruiting. Ultimately it will, ultimately it will hit recruiting. 
that that's a certainty that you're going to see, you know, if, if I'm Nick Saban and I'm recruiting you guys, you're going to say, how much money can I make if I go to Alabama and you say, well, I can't promise you anything, but what I can tell you is here's what our quarterback's making now. And here's what our running back's making now. I can't imagine you're going to make any less, you know, and, the, and it's going to be in their media guide, what guys are making uh, just like they do. You know, when I was a player, a media guide was for the media, you know, now media guides for recruiting. Right. So every media guide, they've got, you know, 20 pages of not 20, but 10 pages of here are all our pros. And now, now they've gone to, here's what all our pros have made. Here's the amount of money our players have made in the NBA in the last 10 years or whatever. They've gone to do that too. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, you know, you, you remember when we used to argue, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's funny. So I'll bring it. Like right now, I, I think I saw it with Imani Bates the other day. Um, you know, he vi- he, I guess he visited Oregon and they had a bunch of pictures of him in Oregon gear. That was illegal a few years ago. Right. You couldn't do that. You couldn't take a picture with a, of a recruit on a recruiting visit in your gear and, uh, and publicize it and all that stuff. That's ridiculous. And you're like, that was so stupid. Why did we care? Now they're doing it. Nobody cares. Like nobody, you know, it, it's just, no, it's not a big deal. It was only a big deal because we criminalized it. And, and it was a, you know, the scandal of somebody being, you know, having a picture taken. Um, it's so stupid. Um, so now we're just deregulating, decriminalizing. And it, in the long run, it's going to be a really good thing. So Jay, I wanted to ask you, um, and maybe I'm ignorant here as to how these changes are going to interplay between football, basketball, and other sports. But what do you think is at stake in terms of the future of the NCAA with uh, Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 for the SEC, which will probably dissolve the Big 12, and and who knows what the fallout from there is? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's just an indication that there's going to be more consolidation of power among the, the top programs in the country. And as you know, this is a, well, people say it's not about money. Um, it is about money and it's about how much money it's about whose money. And so I think you're going to see more consolidate, you know, consolidation of power, uh, among the, the top, the top conferences. And, you know, the S made a, made a move that conferences were making 10 years ago. Uh, the PAC 12 actually had Texas and Oklahoma, uh, coming back in, uh, at what year was it? 2011, maybe. I think it's Something like, like around the time that Texas was trying to get the Longhorn network going. Yeah. And that's ultimately, I mean, they were hours away from that deal having been done. It was agreed upon in principle. And, uh, uh, so, you know, it's not like this came completely out of the blue of those teams leaving, uh, the conference. Um, it, it just, people weren't prepared for it now and they did a really good job of keeping it quiet, which is unusual in college sports. Usually things leak out because presidents have to know things like that. Um, but we're going to see more of this. Uh, I don't think it's the end. Um, you know, you got other conferences that are trying to decide, um, you know, should they expand the PAC 12, big 10, all that stuff. They're going to, in the ACC, they're going to keep making those decisions, uh, going forward. But the truth is it's about media markets more than anything. And, and when you add, uh, you know, when you add teams into your league, 
you better be able to add revenue. Otherwise, you're reducing the amount that each team is going to share. Uh, and, you know, the the SEC is going to be a billion dollar a year league coming up pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, and that's going to throw off a lot of cash to their their members, and they're going to they're going to be in a dominant position. So that's why that where this alliance came from. You know, the Pac-12, the ACC, the Big Ten. I I, I immediately thought of Dwight Schrute and Jim Halpert <laughs> in the office when they said alliance. Because um, <laughs> you're like you're like really uh, you know if you got something to announce, but you you know the alliance among you know schools with values. When they start touting their values, they don't have anything else to talk about. Um, because, <laughs> how, does this, how does this play know, like, out? I mean, is, there gonna, is the Big 12 going to dissolve or where, what's going to happen here? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, probably, but I don't know the answer to that. You know, it, having Oklahoma and Texas leave took away a lot of their highest rated games because most of their highest rated games included Texas and Oklahoma. And Texas versus Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, well, so correct those... me if I'm wrong, but I think Texas and Oklahoma bring the most money to the table, obviously, and then that pot gets split. So without them, I think that pot almost evaporates relatively. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, in 2025, it's going to be a big hit, uh, no question. But but the question really is, um, what what would that conference be worth in media rights without those two, and then. Um, would there be anywhere for uh, their members to land? Like, so you've heard, you, you know, people say, all right, well, West Virginia ought to join the ACC and the ACC is going for what? Why? Yeah. Um, there's not a media market there that the ACC wants. Um, you know, they've already essentially got that market by having Pittsburgh. So, you know, they don't really need it. And, uh, and look, West Virginia is a terrific football and basketball program. I know they've got other sports and it makes, makes more sense geographically, but does it make economic sense for the ACC? And I think the answer is probably no. Um, so do they, do they have landing spots? I remember, you know, and this is a little bit on a tangent, but I remember the last round of conference realignment, the, the two schools that if everything blew up, were going to be, could be left without a chair were Duke and Kansas. I mean, the two, you know, two iconic basketball brands, uh, but didn't have football to match. And, uh, and if you don't have, if you don't have quality football, uh, you can be left without a chair in a hurry. Wow. One thing I heard business, business sense aside, does this just kind of tug at you just to kind of see things inevitably collapsing, at least from the way it used to be the structure that it used to be? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I'm, I like tradition, but, but you know, like if I really, if people really like tradition, Duke could still be in the Southern conference, um, you know, and, and you'd still have the Eastern eight or whatever these things used to be called back in the day, all these conferences formed um, because they were more viable and, and brought in more money, you know, so we can sit and complain about, well, I liked the big East back in the day, the, the big East knew it wasn't going to last. It absolutely knew it. It was just a matter of time. And, uh, and, you know, I liked it better when Penn state was an independent, you know, I mean, I, I just, I get it, but things change and, and, you know, there's been radical change in college sports over, over the years. And most of it's been on the revenue side and, and we haven't heard a whole lot of complaining there's complaining when, when, you know, people like, and I get this cause I'm the same way. Like I still go the, the Houston Astros are in the American league. Like what? Yeah. Um, right. it's, it's I still, forget that. 
Yeah, it still kind of bothers me a little bit. But, you know, you kind of get used to it. And when I played in college, the ACC was an eight-team league. Now it's 15 plus Notre Dame. Um, so it, it's it's a... Uh, there's been change, but we keep rolling with it. And the, and the, the, the world's still spinning. And like, I miss, um, you know, I miss Kansas, Missouri, but it didn't, uh, it wasn't yeah. the only game that got me up in the morning. Uh, we, we've been just fine without it. And we'll be fine with all this other stuff. For um, sure. But, but I think the issue that people need to understand is that they think that these decisions are being made without taking the fan into, into consideration. And it's not, it's because of fan behavior that it's being, that these things are being done. These things are being done because of how fans consume the product. Um, these people are not stupid. They are making so these true. decisions. They're, they're like the, the, the playoff is going to expand, not because the fans don't Thank want it. You. To. I need it's it because they do. And, and they'll respond to it. And that's why we've not, they don't want to change the NCAA tournament because they believe that the fans like all the Cinderella stories and Absolutely. all that. I think they're going to find that's not necessarily true. The fans just like to gamble. And uh, so whatever we come up with in the future, you can invite some, some smaller conference teams, but the, the automatic qualifier model, I don't know how much longer it's going to last because a lot of bad, I shouldn't say bad, but a lot of average teams get into the tournament as automatic qualifiers and they, they nine times out of 10 get bounced out right away. And so I don't, I, I don't, I think it would be better to have the, the very best of the small conference teams rather than just taking the automatic qualifier. But, you know, reasonable minds can differ on that one. You got to give the people what they want. And one thing and they I know, do, <laughs> one thing I know, you know, is that uh, Kansas is going to kick Texas's ass once again. Tell Roosh by how much and how bad this year and how good Kansas is going to be, please. Well, Kansas will be really good. Right? Have, you seen what, have you seen what Chris Beard's doing in recruiting? Yes, I have. I wanted to ask you about that. Was, that was my last question. Is I was going to ask your thoughts on Chris Beard and whether or not Texas can for real be back. Yes, they will be. Um, and I, look, I thought they were doing very well under Shaka Smart toward the end. I mean, they had the, the bad loss to Abilene Christian in the tournament. And, you know, I, I mean, with all respect to Abilene Christian, they did a great job, but I mean, come on. Uh, I don't think Abilene Christian or two games came close to shooting 40% in a game. And the difference was UCLA didn't turn the ball over and make a bunch of, make a bunch of stupid mistakes, which Texas did. Um, I mean, what did they have to do? Score 50 points to win? Um, you know, that was surprising because I thought Texas had a really good team. They did have a really good team. They just played really poorly in that game. And, uh, and that, that can happen. And that just shows, you know, when you, when you have a team that can really slow a game down and ugly it up, um, you can, you know, you can get clipped and, and Texas did, but, but Chris Beard is a, he's not a good coach. He's a great coach and he's a, a spectacular leader. Um, and, and he gets people fired up, man, those players believe, and, and he's done a great, great job recruiting transfers, high school players. Uh, it's not the last we're going to see of, of Texas killing it on the recruiting trail. So is Kansas your preseason number one? I think actually I've got Gonzaga number one. Uh, <laughs> UCLA will be up there, Villanova, places like that. Uh, but Kansas will be up there. They, they got, the, the, you know, Remy Martin. They got some good players coming in. All right, two quick hitters here. I wanted to ask you, you are talking about there could be more than um, one option for the best player of this 2021 draft class when it's all said and done. 
I know Cade's your number one guy, but um, if you were going to weight it off, let's say 100 points or 100 percentage points of guys that would have a chance to be the best player when it's all said and done in this draft, how would you divvy those 100 points out? And like, wow. you could say that's like, that's a good five- way to do it. That's pretty interesting. Cool. That, that's almost better than tiers. Like, if you had points to give yeah. a, a certain amount of points, I like that's a great idea. So, uh, I'd go. And you can go like five to the field or something, if that's 40, 40 for Cade, 30 for Jalen uh, Green. Wow, that close. 20 for Jalen Suggs. And then. Uh, not high on the, Evan Mobley? The rest, yeah, the rest probably for Mobley. I mean, it's not that I'm not high on him, it's just that. You know, today's today's NBA, I think, goes more toward the guards and perimeter than it does for big guys. But he's he's going to be a, a really good perimeter big. But it, like when his his greatest value is uh, is defense, I think, right? Um, because of his ability to switch off and guard any, literally anybody on a pick and roll situation, and you know he can block shots and rebound and run. Um, but he's a much better offensive player than he gets credit for, but. Um, I, I would probably give a little bit of an edge to Suggs because he does all that as a, as a legit perimeter point guard. Um, but that's a, God, that's, I'm going to remember that one. I'm stealing well, that one. No credit to you. That's a good idea. That's a really good call. So with that said, I mean, didn't you have Evan Mobley number two? Did summer league change your mind? No, no, but, but well, maybe it did a little bit. <laughs> um, Green can lead the the NBA in scoring, and he can yeah, do it multiple fair. years. It's kind of like when, and I don't mean to make this comparison because people go nuts when you do it, but when when uh, Kevin Durant came out of Texas, um, and I was one of those, and I was one of many. I don't I don't remember very many people saying take Kevin Durant over Greg Oden, but. Um, I felt like Greg Oden was going to anchor a defense for a long time. I didn't anticipate the health problems that he had, and that was what got him out of the league. It wasn't ability. Uh, and and you're saying, but Kevin Durant's going to lead the league in scoring. Um, I feel the same way about Jalen Green. Uh, he, he's he's a he's a spectacular talent that could you know could have been number one this year and justified, and could be number could have been number one in five out of the last ten drafts. He also showed flashes, which surprised me. Maybe I'm biased as a Rockets fan, but he really, he can create off the pick and roll, off the dribble already. Whether he hones that and focuses on that, we'll see to get to the next level, but it's there. It's not, I saw some people saying, oh, he's just a, a straight scorer, but there, there's more. And than he's that. a high, yeah, I agree with you. But, but you know, it's funny. I mean, you go back, I watched a lot of James Harden at uh, Arizona State. And, and, mm. you know, we all touted what a great scorer, how talented, all this stuff, size. I didn't anticipate him being the, the ultimate scorer that he became. Yeah. I mean, who, who could, who would make that jump? Um, you know, it, like hall of fame. Good. And that's kind of the funny part is like it, it it's hard. It, the only player I, I ever remember saying hall of fame. Good. When he was coming into the draft was LeBron. Um, that was your first remember, draft to cover, right? That was my first draft for ESPN. So I, so I remember sick. saying that. Uh, but he was a different cat. You know, I mean, I think we would all agree with that. But, but you know, you kind of stop yourself from saying that with some of these guys. But, you know, some of them are going to do it. Like, I, I don't remember saying about the 2003 draft that, yep, 
uh, you, we're going to see um, LeBron, Carmelo, um, Bosch, and Wade all Hall of Fame. But they are for sure. And and but <clears throat> some of these guys, some of these guys in this draft have Hall of Fame potential if they stay healthy. Uh, and your words these days is uh, it's generational is the one I hear get tossed around. Um, yeah. Now, you know, generational and transformational, you hear a lot. Yes, yes. But I really, again, maybe I'm biased, but man, Jalen Green made it look easy. The fluidity on the court, knowing mm-hmm. how to get to his spots and just execute when he gets there was, was it blew me away. So at so, that age too, I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard to fathom. Um, you know, when I was in college, you know, they used to talk about 22 year old seniors being rookies with a lot to learn. And, you know, that, now these guys are 19 and, and uh, uh, heck, I could barely find a library when I was 19. And these guys are, are pros and killing it. It's really impressive. One Zach, tidbit, you got anything else? Yeah, one tidbit that was kind of funny being you brought up 2003. Melo just came out and said that um, it was the first time he's ever told anybody on Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes' podcast that the Pistons did guarantee him all the way up until the draft that they were going to take him number two. If they take them there, I think they win three or four championships. Would you agree to that or disagree? They have a chance to do it, but who knows? I yeah. mean, you know, it, it certainly would have been. Question. Yeah, it certainly would have been would have been helpful uh, rather than having Darko. But man, <laughs> I, when you watch that guy work out, uh, I remember after Darko was drafted, watching him work out at a Pistons practice with my jaw on the floor as to how talented <laughs> he is. And they were all saying it, like all their coaches were, man, this yeah. guy's the real deal. Wait, he's gonna and just pan out. It's just those things. But um, but yeah, it would have been nice if, if Carmelo would have been taken for two. Uh, I think they would have definitely won that that year. They I think they won and then went to the finals and lost to the Spurs. I think they would have edged the Spurs out that that next year, but I don't know about three or four. But what would have happened? What would have happened? Like if everybody would have would have known about uh Darko, what would have happened? I mean, heck uh, uh, that that would have meant that Dwayne Wade wouldn't have gone to wouldn't have gone to Miami. That's the thing too. That's the yeah. thing too. I didn't think about that aspect of it. I really didn't. I just thought about the, the butterfly effect. All right. Uh, last question: Best golf course you've played this year? Pine Valley Golf Club in uh, New Jersey. It's not mm, close. That's on the bucket list for sure. That's so, two seconds to answer. There you go. Who'd you well, play hey. with at Century? This year, who I play with at the American Century? Yep. Um, I played with I played with Brian last day. I played with Brian Kelly, the head coach of Notre Dame, and Brett Saberhagen, uh, you know, who played uh, baseball for a million years. I actually played high school baseball, uh, high school basketball against him. Uh, uh, and then I played with uh, Kyle Fuller um, of the Denver Broncos and um, uh, Joe Maurer. Uh, there we go, Minnesota played legend. for the Twins forever. Yeah, Minnesota My legend. Guy. Good basketball player too. He told me all about his basketball career. And, uh, you know, played a practice round with Vinny Del Negro, who won it all, and, and uh, wow. Ray Allen, Anna Sorenstam, and mm. uh, had a blast. Played, I was playing with Justin Tuck when he hit the scoreboard. Really? More, more or less fun than Miles Teller the last time you were on? <laughs> uh, just as fun. I mean, okay. Miles Teller's a great guy. He was really fun to play with. I really enjoyed him. He's, he wouldn't be able to pick me out of a lineup, but he was awesome. Looked like that's the best you've done, too, right, this year? Yeah, my back feels better, so I'm, I'm I can actually swing now. So yeah, I played I played pretty well for me. Awesome, Jay. Well, I really appreciate you going deep with us. That was a blast, and uh, best of luck. Keep that golf game going, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, Jay. Appreciate been, it, guys. Been watching you uh, for a very long time on TV. So 
getting to pick your brain was a privilege, man. We appreciate it. And um, we'll be in touch. And thank you so much. Bruce, Zach, thanks for having me, you guys. Yep, take care. Absolutely. Take care.